Have you guys been catching that verse we've had in the Bible or our bulletin the last few weeks out of 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved to God, a workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth? And I think there's a safety when we go through the entirety of Scripture verse by verse because there's a lot of things we can get hung up on or we can miss. You guys ever read the proverb that there is safety in a multitude of counselors? It's one of the things that is a blessing about the Bible. You guys know that's not really one book. How many books is it? 66, right? <clears throat> um, the canon. We have 66 books, 40 different authors. And there's safety there. Okay, everything fits together beautifully. But I often wonder, as I study through the Word of God, there is so much that we glean from every individual book. Just if we were missing one of them, there would be some things that, okay... I need counsel here. Where is it, God? What do you want? That's the beauty of studying the whole of Scripture. I encourage you guys to study. Go home. We're going to go through a passage this morning. Even though Jesus is laying this down, and we know he's God, he's the final authority, Okay, you need to take what I'm saying this morning back to the Scriptures, study it for yourselves that you're not ashamed. Because there's one thing I see in the church today. There's a lot of Christians that love Jesus Christ deeply. <laughs> love him a whole bunch. But when it comes to his word, they're ashamed. They're ashamed. And God tells us there in 2 Timothy, you don't need to be ashamed. Rightly divide the word of God. So let's take a look here in Matthew chapter 12 together. Uh, just a very uh, quick overview. There's a few of you that are visiting Matthew's flow has been awesome up to this point in chapter 12. It's very logical to his theme that Jesus is the Messiah of the Old Testament. That's what Matthew is all about. Look at Jesus. He is the awaited king. He is here. This is the good news. And in the first two chapters of Matthew, which we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on Christmas messages this year. Maybe we'll do it next year if you've been around for long enough. You guys know we kind of jump every other year. We'll do a little Christmas series. This year we're going to just keep trucking through the Gospel of Matthew. But the first couple chapters, that's often preached on around Christmas. Why? Because it talks about the birth of the Messiah the coming Savior of the world who was prophesied over and over and over again. And we saw that laid out by Matthew for us in the first two chapters. And then in the third and fourth chapter, we see that Jesus has affirmed his full identity, okay, of who he was being a human being among humanity and that there is victory even though us as human beings we are weak okay surely this person the messiah the savior jesus himself can lead us to victory too and then chapters five through seven which we took about six months going through the sermon on the mount um we see jesus's um really explaining okay uh of explanation of the lifestyle that is appropriate for those who choose to live in the kingdom because they are a part of the king's family and how we ought to live. And then chapters 8 to 11 prove Jesus' authority over um, <clears throat> all that binds human beings and also shows Jesus' authority is expressed through servanthood. Okay? And if our master is a servant... What should we be as his disciples? Servants, okay? 
You want to see a Christ follower? They're not a complainer. They don't stand in their rights. It's not about them. They've humbled themselves like Christ did, and they're following their master's example. They'll become a servant of all. And then now, I love what we're jumping into because chapter 12 to 15, we learn of the response of the nation to Jesus and his message. In other words, guys, there's a growing opposition. We don't like what you're saying, Jesus. (laughs) We like who we are, what we have, what we've been doing. Our religion! Um, And it was really spearheaded by the Pharisees. So the band of this rigid and committed men were quick to see that there was a great gap between Israel's present lifestyle and Jesus' kingdom's truth. So if you guys caught on our bulletin, I entitled this morning, Sabotage. Pretty cool, huh? Or is I'm I'm the only one that thought that was cool? Any guys know French? Wee! (laughs) All right! Sabotage, we all know that word, right? Comes from sabat, okay, French blend of sabat and uh, boot or booty, okay, boot. So sabotage actually means uh, to kick with the sabats, wooden shoes. So here the Pharisees start kicking Jesus and his disciples for breaking the Sabbath. Okay, that's what we're going to deal with this morning. So you guys understand why it's entitled Sabbath-tage? If not, just hang on, because as we go through this, you're going to be like, oh, now I get it, okay? Um, And before we read here in verse 1 of chapter 12, again, I want to just reemphasize what we just read out of Romans 12, verses 2 and 3. Paul was saying, hey, I know your enthusiasm, okay, that you guys have for God, but it's misdirected zeal is what it is, for they don't understand God's way. They're making people right Uh, with themselves. They're refusing to accept God's way. They cling to their own way of getting right to God by trying to keep the law. That's what Paul laid out for us there. And that's what's happening here. These Pharisees come up against Jesus. They're trying to hold to their law, their tradition. So, verse 1, chapter 12, we're going to see Jesus as the Lord of the Sabbath. It says, at that time, he, Jesus, he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath. But he said to them, Have you not read what David did when he was in hunger? Have you not read? I think that's the problem with so many people today that are caught up into false teaching, cults are clueless about God. How many people, I mean, God loves the world. And I know non-believers who have multiple Bibles who never cracked them open. Man, if you just would have read, you would have known the day of your visitation. You guys remember when Jesus wept before the triumphal entry there into Jerusalem? He wept. If you only would have read, you would have known. How do we know? It's by reading his word, guys. What does he say? Who cares what any denomination, what any cemetery, seminary says? <laughs> what does God say? Because if anybody says anything else, contrary to what he's declared, forget you. 
Let every man be liar and God be true, guys. Let him be true. Anyway, sorry I got sidetracked. If you only would read. That's why we give people Bibles. That's why I love the Gideons. Alex, I hope the people you're discipling, you're giving them the scriptures too, you know? Because it's good that they can hear, but they need to read, right? We didn't get there in reading Romans 10 earlier, but in verse 17 of Romans 10, faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? The word of God. That's why the word is so important. Anyways, getting totally sidetracked. We don't have time for that this morning. Right, Sonny? So, and begin. You can wave your hand, babe, at 11. Kids are done. Dang, that's only in 15 minutes. That ain't happening. All right. Catch this, guys. It tells us here um, that the Pharisees are calling out these disciples. Hey, Look, they're doing what's not lawful. And Jesus says, if you only would have read. Did David, what did he do when he was hungry? And those who were with him, verse four, how he had entered the house and he ate showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only the priests. Or have you not read in the law that on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple, they profane the Sabbath and are blameless, yet, I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. You guys know how the Jews esteem their temple, right? But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. (coughs) Hosea. And you would not have condemned the guiltless, for the Son of Man is the Lord, even of the Sabbath. So keeping the Sabbath was near the top of the list of these pharisaical values, their virtues. But wasn't keeping the Sabbath also important to Christ? (laughs) Was Jesus breaking the fourth commandment here? I thought he was perfect. He didn't sin. He came to fulfill the law. Is he throwing out the fourth commandment? Well, I want you guys to catch the difference. The Pharisees here, guys, these Sabbatarians, let's call them, they enjoyed their own rigid definition and requirements. That's what they looked forward to. Look what I do in the flesh, man. I Sabbath better than you Sabbath, you know? It was all about that. So Jesus kept the Sabbath um, the way that it was intended to be kept. And I think that's where it's so important for us as Christ followers is to look to him. Well, how did our Lord and Savior deal with the Sabbath? How did he keep the Sabbath? What does he say about the Sabbath? You see, the habit of Jesus was to observe the Sabbath. Okay, He was a good Jewish man as the day of worship in the synagogues. And it is good to worship. I think it's really good to give a day to worship the Lord. We meet on the Lord's day, the first day of the week as Christians. Why? Because he rose from the dead. But you're not keeping the Sabbath. You should be worshiping on Saturday only. <clears throat> well, we get to worship in spirit and the truth. And the truth is I get to worship seven days a week. Sorry that you only want to get one day, you know? Anyways, totally sidetracked. The point here is the Sabbath rest was a principle, okay? Principally for worship and not just for rest's sake. A lot of people want to make Sabbath all about rest. Unbiblical. It is about worship if you study the scriptures. 
And yes, rest is a part of it. So I do believe that is refreshing that does come from being in the presence of the Lord. How many of you guys find sweet rest when you're worshiping Jesus? Yeah, that's the only sweet rest I happen to find in life anymore is when I'm in his presence. Like, oh, I try so hard. Even my power naps don't do this for me. You know what I'm talking about, guys? Anyways, Jesus' failure to comply with this minute restrictions of the Pharisee, this, these Pharisees, uh, this Pharisaic observance brought conflict and confrontation. So let me unfold the problem here. So for about 200 years before Christ, at this point, there arose to be what was known as the Great Synagogue. And it took the Ten Commandments that were given there on Mount Sinai to Moses, the whole law of Moses, okay, the first five books, the Pentateuch, the Torah, okay, took all of those, and then they added interpretations to it, okay? And this, guys, really wasn't teaching them the inner spirit of what the Ten Commandments and the first five of the book, five books of the Bible was about. They were adding to them other commandments, Example, the great synagogue had given 39 prohibitions to interpret the phrase, thou shall have no manner of work on the Sabbath. No manner of work. So these uh, prohibitions that were given were called abhaths, meaning fathers, okay? And then came the toldaths, which would be the descendants of the uh, abhaths, which of the fathers, so the first Abbath uh, uh, prohibited these guys to be reaping because that was considered work. And we don't work on the Sabbath. So then the Toldoth came along and then they put rules to help them carry out this idea. And if you read there, it actually says that plucking the ear of wheat is equal to reaping. Or rubbing in the hands the wheat would be considered threshing. Okay, so they were guilty of reaping, gathering, threshing, knowing. Okay, all these extra laws were given. So the disciples, by doing this act, they were breaking the toldoth. And by breaking the toldoth, they were breaking the abhoth. And by breaking the habath, they were breaking the law. That's how they saw it. So this is what Jesus is constantly trampling over, and it's our human traditions. Do we have human traditions here in the West? As Christians, absolutely travel the world. See how other believers, you're going to be like, what? You can worship like that as a Christian? You betcha. You betcha. Want to hear a funny one? In Germany, brothers in Christ will ask you to go out for a beer. What? I'm a Christian. I don't drink. Can we go grab coffee instead? What? Our European brothers will say, you drink coffee as a Christian? Anyways, just an example. So Jesus here, what's he doing? Okay, he's trampling on these human traditions. They usually start off with good intentions, but they always are missing the heart of God. Would you guys say that's the most important thing? What's God's heart in this? What does he desire? See, he referred to his critics. Hey, let's look at David as our example. Okay, so when David was desperately hungry, he broke the law by eating bread, okay? uh, the bread of the presence. So the Old Testament itself never interprets the Sabbath law to demand going hungry. Have you guys found that scripture yet? Oh, good, me neither. 
Okay? That's why, again, it's good to study the whole of Scripture. Okay? What does it all say? So if David could do this, how much more the son of David? Does that make sense? I love that he used David as an example. Do you not know who I am? I am the promised one, the Messiah, the son of David. Okay? And the int- it's very interesting here. Okay? Um, the survival of David and his companions, they were all, it was allowed above the law. I think that's cool. Really? That's the heart of God? He cares more about their survival, their well-being? Yeah. And with the priest's blessing, of course, as we read there in the Old Testament. So Christ and his companions were also above this man-made law which these Pharisees proclaimed. Thus, I want you guys to catch this. One thing I see here, circumstances, justified practice. Another thing we can see here, larger obligations overruled the lesser. And then ceremonial observance is less important than meeting human needs. Wycliffe, I think I put this in your notes this morning. John said this, a merciful attitude towards the spiritual needy is far better than the mere formality of religious duty, sacrifices without concern for others. Would you guys agree with him? I would. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Pretty simple, right? Love God. Love him with everything. With all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love God. And the second I'll throw in for a bonus. It'll be like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Just love. Don't you love it? I love the love in the Bible. Love the fulfillment of the law right there. So we see that here laid out. And then if you look at verse 7 with me, I want mercy and not sacrifice. Jesus quotes this from Hosea 6.6. Jot that down. It's for the second time. He also quoted this back in chapter 9, verse 13. And in Hosea 6.4, God has divine doubts about the sincerity of those who follow him. And aren't you guys grateful that God lays that out in Scripture? Hey, I'm all good. Look what I'm doing. (laughs) Yeah. Stop the show, Psalm 40 tells us. What is God looking at? He's looking at the heart. That's what he cares about. And you see him speaking through the prophets the same thing over and over again. Who cares about your religion, your rituals, your rules, and what you're doing? Your heart's not even in it. That's what I care about. It's not the outward display. What's going on inside? So it was a shallow religious revival. Their loyalty drifted like the morning cloud and it dried up like the dew. Here one minute, gaunt the next. So in Hosea 6.6, when it talks about mercy, has said it's used 275 times in the Old Testament. This word mercy means covenant, loyal, steadfast love. So it's kind of like the steel-ribbed love. The scripture must have been one of Jesus' favorite because he quotes it twice, two times. He even goes on to add, go and learn this in Matthew 9 and 13. And then he says it here again in chapter 12, verse 7, if you only knew what it means. 
that I want mercy and not sacrifice. Be merciful for I am merciful. Micah 6.8, what is required of you, O man, but to do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. Really? The Old Testament says it's really that simple? Do what's right, what's just. Love mercy and walk humbly with God. Yeah, and then if you read the New Testament, he makes it even simpler. Because he knew a whole bunch of Gentiles would be reading this. (laughs) You guys just love each other. (laughs) Can you just do that? Don't you love it? I love it. If I already said that, I love, love this. Anyways, mercy. Let's consider this for a second. The mercy that he spoke of there in Matthew 9, it was to who? Tax collectors and sinners. And then the mercy here is shown to who? These hungry disciples. Are you guys getting the heart of God? Who is who's he wanting to extend this mercy to? You see, the key, the inner quality of mercy is more, far more pleasing to God than the correct performance of rituals. And then he also said, the knowledge of God is important. It is not what you do or know, but it's who you know. Do you know Jesus? That's the only thing that matters in this life. Because in that day, Matthew seven twenty one, many will say to him, Lord, Lord, have we not done all these great things, kept the law, did all these awesome things here on earth for you? Depart from me, I never knew you. Who cares if you go to church? Do you guys know that there's going to be a lot of church people in hell? And then we're going to trip out and see a lot of people in heaven. I never saw you at church. How'd you get here? (laughs) Jesus. So these Pharisees tried to keep the Sabbath by restricting what a person could do on that day. So how do we avoid this sterile approach to worship? You see, instead of what we don't do, what we do to make it worshipful, whatever day, week, life, okay? So in what way are we guilty then of this Phariseeism? Is that a word? Phariseeism. I see it in the church. I read a lot of Christian books. It's here. The last two years, I've had to read at least seven or eight books. Brother in Christ, Christian follower, you need to Sabbath, and you need to Sabbath well, and it's all about rest. And I absolutely agree with that. Okay, God knows us. He knows how we're wired. We need to find rest. But I truly believe the Sabbath is to be given to the Lord in the way of worship. You know, and I hope your heart coming here this morning with your brothers and sisters has been one. I want to go worship the Lord. I want to worship Him. He deserves it. I want to sleep in because that turkey was really good. The leftovers the last few days have been really good. I just want to sleep in. But it's one of those things, guys, we want to give to our God. He is worthy. And there's something that happens when we worship the Lord well. We should find rest. And I hope you guys are encouraged when you come that you're built up, that there's refreshing that comes from being in the presence of the Lord. I think that's one of the uniqueness, uniquenesses that we have of local church. Don't forsake 
the assembling together. God does special things when we gather together. It's refreshing. We need that. And if you're born again, you know what I'm talking about. You can't wait for Sundays. It's just like, man, that's the highlight of the week. I get to be with my brothers and sisters. Anyways, um, so I want you just to really ponder that for a moment. In what ways are you, okay? If there's a we when it comes to being guilty of Phariseeism in our church, I want you guys study the scriptures. Come talk to me. Talk with our elders. Say, hey, guys, I, I don't like the direction we're going here. I don't see it in scripture. It's good to do that. It's good to think through these things. But also on a personal level, where am I doing this? Where have I gotten legalistic in my life? I have, I have friends who be, who've become, okay? They were in Bible teaching churches. They got saved and they became Sabbath keepers. And they've broken fellowship. I can't even fellowship with you anymore. I don't even believe, Landon, you're going to go to heaven one day because you are practicing lawlessness because you're not keeping the Sabbath. And I'm good now because I keep the Sabbath and that's the key. That's how you know you're really going to be able to make it one day into heaven and we can't have fellowship any longer. It breaks my heart. How were they so easily bewitched? Legalism. My flesh can do this. I can do that. If you really knew the Hebrew and understood what the Scripture said about the Sabbath, then you would know. Well, I know Jesus. <laughs> I know what he says in Matthew chapter 12. <laughs> I'm going to roll with what he has to say. I desire to have fellowship with these guys. But it's one of these things that I'm not even saved. Sonny and I, I think I told you guys the Judy story before. There's very few people who share Jesus with others. Honestly, how many people have come up to you in the last week or month and shared Jesus with you? What percentage would you say <laughs> to knowing that you are going to go to heaven for sure? Has anyone done that to you in the last month? Has anyone opened up Romans to you? All of sin and falling short of the glory of God. But there's hope. <laughs> there's hope. There's a God that loves us. He so loved us that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't happen a whole lot, does it? One of our neighbors, only I can't think of another neighbor who's come and shared Jesus. You know, she was a Seventh-day Adventist. How many of you guys know a Seventh-day Adventist? Yep. How long do you think we fellowshiped with her? We had Bible studies, regular Bible studies, a group of other people coming. How many times did we get together, pray with her, study with her before she told us we're going to hell? Yeah, we loved on each other. You know, we're having a Bible study and she lays out, we're going through that night and we considered the Sabbath. And because you guys are not keeping the Sabbath, you're going to hell. Wow, for months, we've been loving on each other, pouring into each other, opening the scriptures together, praying for one another. And this whole time, this whole, you're going to wait months before you tell us what you have a conviction of. You're going to tell us that you're, we're going to hell because we don't keep the Sabbath. Seventh-day Adventists. I know hundreds of them. 
minister to hundreds of them. Don't bother reading Ellen G. White. She's a flake. Got a little depressed this week because I spent time reading her. Want to know, am I missing something? I got to bring this before my family this weekend, Lord. These Seventh-day Adventists, they sure want to hold to your word. They sure teach the Bible, they say. Am I missing something? So I read out their whole doctrine. I even read a good part of her great controversy that she wrote. Crazy that people follow the teachings of this woman in this movement. When you talk to any Seventh-day Adventist, if you do not keep the Sabbath, they believe that you are not truly saved. That is in their doctrine. They believe in Jesus, but they've added a whole lot to him. And let me tell you what, it makes me want to study the book of Galatians with you guys. Because Jesus plus nothing is everything. Do you guys understand that? But the Bible would lay out to us, if we add anything to Jesus, he becomes nothing. And some of you guys might be faster, we get it. We hear you preach this all the time. Yeah, it's because we study the word of God. God wants us to get this point. But we have a tendency to get so caught up into some form of rules and regulations. I see it with good friends of mine. We at the church here, we have to stop eating this certain stuff. Or we need to start doing this. And then we'll be okay. We'll be set. And the thing that's amazing, a little bit here of doing this and that, just sit back and watch. You got a brother or sister that starts turning into legalism to get off of Jesus. Look into him. I'm going to start doing. Look what I'm doing. This is the key. It's going to become more and more stuff. And pretty soon, Jesus is not even part of the picture anymore, guys. So, could say a lot more about that. The point is, legalism misses the heart of God every time. That's the bottom line, and people are okay with that. His grace is still sufficient for us. I believe that 100%. I believe the Bible 100%. Cool, let's move on. Look at verse 9. Now, when he had departed from there, he went into the synagogue, and behold, there was a man who with a withered hand, um, who had a withered hand, and they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse Jesus. And then he said to them, what man is there among you who has one sheep And if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold of it and lift it out. Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and it was restored as whole as the other. The Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So Jesus here teaches that people's needs trump legal observances. His actions provide an example of Hosea's passage that he quoted back in verse 7. So other writings here let us know 
that he was not born with this, but he had some illness uh, that had taken strength from him. We don't know what it is. Um, we have a few fragments out there. Uh, the gospel according to the Hebrews. Okay. Whoa, whoa, pastor, that's not in the canon. I know, but it's kind of fun to read some of the apocryphal books. Yeah, a lot of contradictions. It doesn't fit with authentic scripture, but it gives us a little bit of background on this guy the early church fathers actually spoke to, and I thought you guys would like to know. The guy was a stonemason, supposedly, and he sought Jesus to heal him, for his livelihood was in his hands, and he was ashamed to beg. So, the law of the day was that he couldn't give medical attention on the Sabbath unless their life was in danger. His obviously wasn't. You guys get the point? His wasn't. Now, verse 10's interesting because they just knew this man is who he would be attracted to, okay? They were trying to catch him. The one person that was hurting the most was the one that God had a heart for. They just knew he couldn't pass up on compassion, I don't know about you guys, but that's an unconscious compliment to the Lord. I think it's pretty awesome. Anyways, I believe Jesus is saying here, you are either acting in some way for the person's recovery or you are acting uh, for the perpetuation of his misery. It's one or the other. How can we harden our hearts towards a brother that we see in need? How could the love of God be in us? You see, anyways... Check out First John studies for that. Uh, it may be a new goal of ours, guys, never to leave anyone the way you found them. Okay? I think that's a good goal. So when we depart from them, their soul may be lifted up, be encouraged, and brought before the throne of God in prayer. That's what we want to do. But pastor, it sounds like you're tearing down some people today. No, what I'm trying to do is tear down legalism that you guys can see the truth of the good news. It's all about Jesus. He wants you to be set free, to live in that freedom, to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth. And that just happens as we love him, walk with him. It just happens. So Jesus, verses 11 and 12, armed with uh, principles, goes for the heart of the subject here. So which principle do you live by, okay? Let's bring some application. Do you live by the Pharisee's principle that is it lawful or are you living by Jesus' principle which is, is it loving? Which one? Does it feel like compromise to ask if it's loving? Is that compromise? Does it feel more holy to ask? Is it lawful? Does it feel wimpyish to ask? Is this loving? Or do you feel more bold to ask, is this lawful? You see, guys, the Pharisees had transformed the day of blessing into a day of bondage. Am I against the Sabbath? Absolutely not. But do it biblically. Keep it about Jesus, about worshiping God. That's what it's about. Okay? It's not to be a day of bondage. You see, the original intent to provide a day of rest for the children of Israel, that they would be free from the people, the tyranny of life, of unending toil. You see, God gave it for the good of humanity. And the principle is actually older than Judaism. Think back to creation. What happened on the seventh day? God rested. When was man made? You guys remember? On the sixth day, right? 
So notice if man was made on the sixth day, then this was the first day of human existence. Thus man's first day was the Sabbath day. So know it is always right to do good and to meet human need for love. It fulfills the law. Romans 8 or 13, 8, I have that on the front of your bulletins this morning. He who loves another has fulfilled the law. Wow. So Christ makes the intention public and he weeps expectation here. Thus he heals him, uh, healing this man from whatever sufferings he had and exposing the enemy's uh, just nastiness. And then verse 12, of how much more value then is a man than sheep, <coughs> Peter. Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You see, Jesus argues that people needs outweigh the needs of animals for whom their owner could do work on the Sabbath. So if Jews were permitted to care for animals in extreme situations on the Sabbath, they should be allowed to do the same for another person. And then look at verse 13. We're wrapping up here. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out. And he was restored as whole as the other. If you read the Gospel of Mark's account in chapter 3, verse 3, he also asked him to step forward. So you guys kind of have a picture of what's going on. Hey, you, cripple man, step forward, okay? I love it because it's kind of like a rise into the mist is actually what the verbiage is saying there in the Greek. So maybe it was trying to awaken one last time for these Pharisees, get the heart of God. Who cares about your stinking rules? Love other people. Get it. Verse 14. I love it. Everybody could see. Verse 14. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. So the first mention in Matthew that the Pharisees want to destroy Jesus. This is a turning point now in the Gospels. We don't like what you're teaching, dude. We don't like it. Because you're not all about our rules and our regulations the way we always have done things. You're taking the word of God too serious. You're quoting to us Hosea. And you're talking about mercy and loving the heart of God. How dare you? Now the Pharisees, they were more than critics. They were really enemies. So the rigidity here, rigidity of keeping the law actually led them to abuse it far worse than even they think Jesus, uh, even think Jesus did. So they're, they're re- really, it was hate, it was murder in their hearts. So Jesus was able to look beyond the law to see how they were intended for our benefit. So their religion was loving ritual. Jesus' religion was loving God, loving others. Jesus was people-centered. The Pharisees were what? Law-centered. This is what you have to do. And a little PS on here, Jesus did seven such miracles on the Sabbath, so they'd get the point. It's not just a one-time event. Read the Gospels over and over again. You Sabbath keepers, you who want to be totally legalistic about it, get the big picture. Study them out. It's fascinating. Sabbath is for the man. And guess what, guys? Christ is the Lord of both. I love it. So wrapping up, verse 15 but then Jesus, when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there. The great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. 
And he warned them not to make him known that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Behold, my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well pleased, I will put my spirit upon him, and he will declare justice to everyone else, right? The Gentiles, and he will not quarrel nor cry out, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed will not break a smoking flask will not quench till he sends forth justice to victory and his, in his name Gentiles will trust. So this is a very brief passage that Matthew identifies Jesus as that servant of Isaiah 42. So this is the longest fulfillment citation in the book. Now, verse 20, this bruised reed, what is this about? What is he talking about? Let's make sense of this, okay? It will not be broken. It's emphasizing his kindness towards the downtrodden, towards the weak. This is the heart of God. Okay, a lot of us look at people, we just don't even want to recognize they're there. Guys, know we have homeless people right here in the Fox Valley? I say that to some people, no, there's not. Open your eyes. Care. They're right there. There's people hurting all around us. You may have a neighbor right across the street that's going through it and you have no clue. No clue. It's just easy just to ignore. Don't even th- No, God's asked us to engage. Love's a verb, guys. Go love your neighbor, right? So, that New Living Translation puts it this way. He will not crush the weakest reed or put out a flickering candle. Okay? So not a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. I love that. So both examples, someone just barely bumps the reed that's hanging on by a hair and it's dead or the slightest breath of a failing wick and it's extinguished. You see, weak things is what Jesus focuses on. Okay? When we're weak, he's made strong, right? We find strength in that. God's chosen weak things. See, Benaiah, he met a man who killed these two like heroes of Moab and killed a lion on a snowy day. I think of Samson, he relocates gates. You know, those guys are pretty awesome, but the majority of us are what? Weak, right? Timid, trembling people. We're like the little shore, uh, shorebirds, uh, sanderlings, that easily spoke plain tag with the waves. You see, with the weak, feeble, frail, and fragile creatures, yet, I want you guys to get this, weak as we are, we have Jesus, and we have his promises. Do you guys know that? As weak as we are, we have Jesus. We have his promises. He will not break us nor put us out therein there's grace and graciousness from our heavenly father herein is love loving kindness we never need to shrink back from his touch guys he's a gentle compassionate long-suffering merciful god let's stand to our feet
There's a lot more I wanted to say this morning, but I think you guys get the point of what Jesus is getting at. I don't think we've twisted anything. I think we've been true to what God's laid out here. I encourage you guys to study it. If anyone comes along as a self-proclaimed prophet or prophetess, (coughs) Ellen White, (coughs) they're normally a joke, guys. Be careful who you listen to. And no matter who you listen to, you go back to the word of God. God, what do you say? Great sermon today. What do you say about the Sabbath thing? What do you say about that? So important. Would you guys to close your eyes? I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a passage that has encouraged me a lot of late. Verses 8 and 9 says that we are oppressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down and never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. And we say yes and amen to these, Father, because we know all the promises that you've given to us in Jesus are yes and amen. We can hold to your word. We can trust you. We thank you, Father, for this passage that you put in your word that our eyes may be enlightened, that our hearts can have greater understanding. And I do pray that you give us wisdom as a church family, God, how we should Sabbath, how we love you, how we should be loving others, how we find rest in you, how we can worship you well. Let us not take for granted that gift. We also pray, Father, that individually that you'd show us, Lord, what it means to Sabbath. Help us to search the scriptures, to get understanding, to get your heart on these matters. I know you've wired us, you've made us, you know what's best for us, God. And we acknowledge, we confess that your ways are way better than ours. That, Father, you're much wiser than us. Thank you so much. Keep us in the truth. Keep us free, Father, to be loving you well and loving others well for your glory. We pray in your name. Amen.